The reading today is Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. There are some people here who are old enough to have been alive on Christmas Day, 1974. Do you remember what happened on that day? Ah, very good. Cyclone Tracy stuck, struck Darwin, almost obliterated Darwin. Uh, it was such a, a savage storm that uh, almost nothing was left of Darwin. Only 10,000 people were allowed to remain in Darwin in order to rebuild. Now, there's a website you can go to which uh, allows people to tell their stories of, of Darwin on December, on December the 25th, 1974. And I've chosen one of those stories uh, from someone called Andrea McFielder. I'll just read her story. It was Christmas Eve, 1974. I was the oldest of four children, only eight years old. My parents did the European celebration opening our presents on Christmas Eve. We went to bed. I woke to loud, eerie wind noises. Mum had three of us in the hallway on a suitcase. We had lost our roof. There was a foot of water on the floor. I remember there was a knock on the front door. My dad was nearly flung back as he forcefully shut the door. A man in hysteria about his wife. The phone was dead. My dad tried to coax him to stay. He was gone. My little brother started crying in his cot. Mum picked him up. Just as she did, a pane of glass came through the ceiling into his cot. He never slept in a cot again. The next morning, a car with a hand speaker told us to go to the school. My mum was very upset. I found out later that our dogs had been put down and my mum had been sedated. My family decided to go by plane to Perth. We could only take one suitcase. Most of our possessions went to our neighbours who lost everything but who were staying. 
Us kids suffered with nightmares and were scared of the dark. Like my mum, I had nerve troubles. To this day, I have a fear when it storms. What is the safest place to be in a cyclone? Well, the very safest place to be in a cyclone is actually right in the middle of the storm, in the eye of the cyclone. You know that a cyclone revolves around an eye. And the eye is a place of peace and quiet. And I've never experienced a cyclone, but they tell me that uh, the, uh, the area just around the eye, the eye wall, is the places of the fiercest wind and storm. So you can be in the center of a cyclone and you can, you can look all around you. 360 degrees you can see uh, murderous thunderstorms and lightning and you're in a place of quiet. But of course it's only quiet for a short time and then the rest of the cyclone hits you. Uh, a common mistake that people make apparently is to go outside to survey the damage just as the eye is going across. So they think the storm is over and they go out to survey the damage and then they're hit by the other, the other side of the storm. Finding a place in the centre of a storm, in the very centre of a storm, is a good analogy of the book of Zephaniah. But there's a difference. When you're in the eye of a cyclone, you still have the rest of the storm to experience. When you find the place of shelter that Zephaniah talks about, then you are safe forever. There is no more storm after that. So maybe we should think of another analogy. Um, and I'm thinking of uh, being stuck on a mountain in the most horrendous snowstorm that you, no one can survive. And then you find a cave in the mountainside that will keep you dry and warm. And it keeps you safe till the end of the storm. But again, it's not a perfect analogy because Zephaniah doesn't talk about escaping from a storm by, by going into a a shelter, it talks about going into the very centre of a storm and finding shelter there. So let's quit the analogies and go straight to the book. Um, Zephaniah. Let, let's turn to Zephaniah. Uh, now, it's pretty hard to find. It's actually the fourth last book in the Old Testament. They have Zephaniah, Malachi, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Zephaniah uh, chapter 3. And um, Chris and Amy have chosen this book for a very obvious reason. Uh, their baby Zephaniah, and maybe one day their little their little Zeph will read Zephaniah and see himself there. I hope so. Um, so let's pick it up at verse eight, Zephaniah chapter three, halfway through verse eight, and God says, "I've decided to assemb assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them." All my fierce anger, the whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. Then will I purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. On that day they will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done, on that day you will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me, because I will remove from this city those who rejoice in their pride. 
Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill, but I will leave within you the meek and humble who trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will speak no lies, nor will deceit be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Zephaniah tells us about the fiercest possible storm that you can imagine and the safest possible refuge. And chapter 317, which is the verse verse we're looking at today, tells tells us what is happening inside that place of refuge. Is that that singing that I hear? These are the, here are the three ways that we're going to unpack this today. First of all, our Lord God rages against sin. Secondly, our Lord God is himself the shelter against his own rage. Thirdly, come into the shelter where the Lord will rejoice over you with singing. First of all then, our Lord God rages against sin. Who is Zephaniah? I don't mean the little I don't mean my grandson, I mean who is the original prophet? Who is Zephaniah? Zephaniah is one of those prophets during the last days of the nation of Judah who had to who had to bring the unpopular, politically incorrect news of the wrath of God, the anger of God against his people. Zephaniah saw the judgment that he was speaking about himself. He saw the people going to exile. He saw God unleash his anger against Israel and against Jerusalem. His book has 53 verses and only 14 of those 53 verses are not about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord as a day of judgment. Here is Zephaniah's great emphasis. There is a day coming and it is a day of judgment. Well, what's this day like? Zephaniah has probably the most fearsome description of this day in the whole of the Old Testament. He says it is a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry. It's a day when God is going to act in a, in a personal way and, and it's, it's particularly horrifying. Uh, God says, in says in verse 7 of chapter 1, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. Now this is a horrific picture. Uh, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. In other words, he's, he's saying something like this. 
the Lord has prepared a barbecue and he said to his guests, bring your own meat and the guests are the meat. They are the ones who will be sacrificed. Why is God so angry? Why why will the storm of his anger break in this way? Well, the opening words of chapter 3 tell us and it's a picture of people who just utterly reject God, prophets, priests and kings, the, the so-called leaders of Israel are all corrupt, they're all defiled and the day of the Lord is coming. It is a day of terrible judgment. But God doesn't mean to judge Jerusalem alone. The whole earth, every nation will be judged. Chapter 3, verse 8, where we started our reading, God says, I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them. All my fierce anger, the whole world, will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. This is a really politically incorrect message. Zephaniah has to bring this unpopular message to his people. The most fearsome cyclone, the most devastating nuclear holocaust cannot compare to the fierce rage, the fury of God. When when is this going to happen? Well, Zephaniah saw the first instalment of it. He saw his people going to exile. He saw the temple destroyed. He saw Jerusalem destroyed. But that was only a foretaste of the day. When you pick it up in the New Testament, the New Testament picks up the, this, this statement about the day of the Lord. And uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 describes it like this. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Surprise! It'll be a surprise. No one will be expecting it. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. It's the day of the Lord. It's the day of the Lord's anger against this planet. Against human sin. Now, question. Do you think God is right to judge in this way? Or shouldn't God just love us? You know, shouldn't, shouldn't he just, uh, can't he just ignore our sin? And isn't he a loving God? Can't he overlook our sin? Well, let's think about that. How would you like to be loved by God who doesn't care about sin and evil? Maybe I can tell you a story to unpack this a bit. It's a story about a young woman. We'll call her Angela. That's not her real name. But Angela has just confronted her mum with what happened years ago. Years ago... And Angela's brother repeatedly sexually abused her. And there was an occasion where her parents uh, uh, sprung him, you know, they, they, they found him at it. And they grounded 
Angela. And then a couple of days later, they, brought, they bought her brother a car. And Angela is, is deeply hurt by the way that her parents treated her. And only just recently she has confronted her mum. This is years ago. Just recently she's confronted her mum with what happened. And what was her mum's reaction? Her mum's reaction was, who else have you told? The family's name is at stake. Don't go spreading this story to other people. Does Andrea's mum, does Angela's mum love her? Will, will Angela feel loved by her mum? Doesn't uh, Angela's right to be to be angry about what happened to her? Doesn't she need her mum to be angry as well? Of course she does. She won't feel loved until she's angry with what happened. But she's not. In order to love, in order to truly love, we need to be angry about the things that attack what is good. If her mum doesn't, if her mum doesn't care. She doesn't love. So, back to my question. Would you like to be loved by a God who doesn't care about sin and evil? Who sees all that is happening in this world, all the oppression and, and, and evil that's happening in this world, who sees it all and who says, okay, eh, Sarah, Sarah, would you like to be loved by such a God? Well, of course you wouldn't. Such, such a love would be worth nothing. How would you be able to respect a God who saw all the evil in the world and just said, well, what will be will be. A good and holy God must rage against sin and evil. Even we, even we, even we imperfect human beings understand that in order to truly love, you must hate what attacks those you love. If we understand that, then surely God, who is righteous and perfect and holy, surely, surely He, uh, surely it's much truer of Him. And so the first part of Zephaniah's message is this Our holy God rages against sin, His rage is fearsome. It is far more devastating than any cyclone. And that doesn't demean God. Far from it. It, it honours God. It tells the truth about God. God, is, God cares. He will not let sin and evil go unpunished. Well, the first part of Zephaniah's message is fearsome. There is no escape from God's wrath. The whole earth will be judged. It doesn't leave anyone out. But the first part of Zephaniah's message doesn't come by itself. And I read mostly from the second part of his message. The second great theme is this. Our Lord God himself is the shelter from his own rage. In, in detailing the sin of Jerusalem uh, at the beginning of chapter 3, the Lord says about the city, she does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Here is her sin. She doesn't draw near to God. 
She doesn't seek the Lord. The command comes in chapter 2. It says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. And when people find that shelter, when people find the shelter, what happens? Chapter 3.17, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. There is a place of shelter. How do you find it? Well, if you just think about what we've just read just now from Zephaniah, the place of shelter is found by those who trust in the Lord, by those who seek him, by those who draw near to God. It is found in the presence of God. It's found by people who can say, the Lord is with us. Where is this place of shelter? It is, it has to be, in the presence of the Lord himself. The Lord God who rages in a mighty storm against sin and evil is himself the shelter from that unbearable storm. Sephaniah, this this prophet, this, this guy who has probably the most the most fearsome, blazing words of judgment in maybe the whole Bible, also has this powerful word of hope and encouragement. He, he is well named, Zephaniah. Uh, what does Zephaniah mean? The name Zephaniah means hidden by the Lord or sheltered by the Lord. What a perfect name for a prophet who must proclaim judgment but who at the same time holds out this hope of shelter. Shelter in the Lord. When you think about it, is there any other place you could shelter? Um, you know, think, about how, think again about how Peter describes that day. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Where are you going to find protection? Will your uh, hiking tent give you protection? What about your double brick home? What about your uh, you know, cyclone-proof, earthquake-equipped, fully-stocked, Underground bomb shelter. Is that going to save you? Well, there's another description of this day in Revelation. Revelation 6. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and hill was removed for its place. The kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Even a cave in the side of a mountain, even if a whole mountain were to fall on you, there would still be no protection from the raging fury of God against sin.
There is no possibility of refuge anywhere. The only possibility left open is the Lord himself to find refuge in the raging God himself. That's Zephaniah's message. The key is not to run away from God. The key is to run to God. Zephaniah's name says it all. Sheltered by the Lord. It's, it's a great name. It, the name summarizes the whole gospel. It summarizes the good news of the Bible. Only those who are hidden by the Lord can be saved. It's a great name for a prophet. It's a great name for a little boy, for a son, for a grandson. Psalm 91 that uh, we read earlier also shows us where to find shelter. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. You know, there was an occasion where Jesus reflected these last words that you will find refuge under his wings. He said once in Luke chapter 13, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. As a hen gathers her chicks. What, what good really is a, is a hen? How can a hen protect? Well, I'll tell you a story. I've told you this story before, but I think it's worth telling you again. A farmer's barn had burnt down. The pastor went out to visit him and the farmer and the pastor were walking out to where the, rest, the, the barn had been burnt down and most of the black, blackened timbers had been pushed away from the, uh, the concrete base. And there, as they walked towards that devastation, there was a, a, the barn hen, dead, just lying there dead and the king the 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 the, the farmer in frustration kicked this hen oh, even the even the hen's been killed and kicked this hen and as he kicked the hen three little chicks came out and started running round and round that mother hen had been roasted alive to protect her chicks this is the message of zephaniah his name says it all Hidden by the Lord. The Lord has provided a place of refuge. The Lord is himself the place of refuge from his own anger. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he received the full brunt of God's anger against the sin of his people. He was like that mother hen. He gave up his life so that his people might live. But that mother hen, that, that was the end of that mother hen. She died. She saved her chicks, but she died herself. Jesus Christ is not dead. He died, but he rose again. He, he rose again on the third day, and he is alive today to give us that new life, that, that, that new life that happens in the shelter. Come into the shelter. 
What is happening in the shelter? Well, just, just listen. Is that singing that I hear in the shelter? The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Our prayer today is that one day Zephaniah, little Zeph, will say, hey, there's a book named after me. Well, actually, it's the other way around, but he'll say, hey, there's a book in the Bible named after me. And he'll go and read it and he'll read this passage and he'll say, hey, that's me. I've been sheltered by the Lord. Our prayer is that one day all of us might hear that amazing song, the song of the Saviour. Maybe this, maybe this is a side of God that you've never thought about before. You know, the, the idea that God actually rejoices over you. How could God rejoice over me? I've disobeyed him, I've rejected him, I've rebelled against him more than I can think about. How can he rejoice over me? What I deserve is the storm of his anger. God should be my enemy. That's what I deserve. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 15. The Lord has taken away your punishment. The Lord has turned back your enemy. How's he done that? How's the Lord taken away my punishment? How has the Lord turned back my anger? Jesus Christ has done that work. Like the hen saving her chicks. So Jesus Christ has taken the heat for me. Jesus Christ suffered the full the full force of God's rage against our sin on the cross. The, the, the cyclone, the nuclear holocaust of God's rage against sin crashed against Jesus Christ on the cross and was exhausted against Jesus Christ on the cross. So that now the sound of rage has been replaced by the sound of singing. The roaring of God's rage against sin is now the delight of God's song over us. Chris and Amy sing over Zeph from time to time. They, 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 they delight in him. They, they quiet him with their love when he's grumpy. They rejoice over him with singing. Our prayer is that the Lord will also rejoice over Zeph with singing. May the Lord sing over you. Zeph knows he is loved because his parents sing over him. May you know May you hear that song. May you know that you're loved. Shall we pray? Our gracious Lord God, we thank you that you love us, not grudgingly, not by some kind of compulsion, but you love us freely and fully, with delight, with singing. It's amazing love. It's love that we can't comprehend. It's no wonder that Paul prayed for the Ephesians that they might have the power together with all your people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Father, we've caught a glimpse of that love today and we bring you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.